Well, good morning, Pine Lake. Yeah, like Nancy said, my name is Austin, and I am one of the pastors here. And we are just so excited uh, that you're here uh, in person or online. And I was, as I was preparing for the message, I realized and I had an epiphany. I don't know if you've ever had epiphanies, uh, but they can still come even when you're 38. Um, I realized, and maybe you can ask other pastors, pastors have kids for the sole purpose of sermon content. Can I be honest about that for a second? Like, I do love kids, but man, they bring the content. Sorry for any of those PKs that have ever been PKs, but your parents had you because they don't love you, your sermon content. Now, I'm just joking. They do love you, but um, especially this was, uh, we've been talking about the last year. Our kids have grown into the sneaking phase. Any of you, like, go through that where your kids went through the sneaking phase? They were sneaking things around and thinking they could outsmart you and fool you. Um, but we told our kids this thing is the moment that mommy um, had our first kid, uh, God gave her eyes in the back of her head. And mom's eyes in the back of her head are really good. And so she sees everything. And it made me have that question. It's like, what do dads get? Like, I don't have, like, what do I get? Um, but it was, it was uh, this moment where we have seen our oldest, especially our oldest two daughters, um, start sneaking around. And when we catch them, when they're on a run of being caught all the time for the things they're sneaking, this is where we're growing stages. All of a sudden, our daughter, especially our eldest, starts verbalizing it this way. When she gets caught a lot, she's like, oh, man... I am a bad girl. I'm a bad daughter. I'm not, I'm a bad sister. And, um, I don't think I should be in this family anymore. Like, I don't, I think I should just go find another family. Um, cause, cause I shouldn't have, I don't deserve this family. And I realized this moment, I was like, man, we're in this place where we're catching our kid doing something, but in her growth, shame has entered in. And I don't know where this happened. And maybe it's us that we just don't recognize, but we're talking about this morning about this idea that we see, if you see a bumper sticker, if you've ever seen it around is that Jesus is peeking out of the corner of the car and saying, I see that. Right? Like we get this feeling when we have a bumper sticker like this, whether it's on your car or I've seen it on uh, water bottles or on the back of uh, computers, is that we give this idea of Jesus, that he, Jesus and God, are just digital scorekeepers. And in that digital scorekeeping, whether you feel like you're out of balance and you got a lot of things like my daughter that you've been sneaking and you've been holding on to, is that in this life that shame comes in and starts to wreak havoc in lives. And so when we say, like, we are in our week two of our bumper sticker faith, is we're trying to say that this idea of who God and Jesus is needs to be cleared up a little bit because they're bad bumper stickers. And when we see a sticker like this, what we want to say is the truth is, in the gospel, is that Jesus does, yes, see it, he knows it, but he redeems it. That last part of it, when you sit in with Jesus— if your only experience is this bumper sticker or a feeling of him as one who is watching all over you, you, we need to remind yourself, we need to remind ourselves that God, yes, he knows it, he sees it, but he also redeems it. So we're going to look in our text here this morning um, in John chapter 4. We're going to read a, a kind of bigger passage uh, that tells a story uh, of a woman and her interaction with Jesus. So if you want to turn with us into your Bibles Chapter 4, we'll start at verse 7, or you can uh, pull it out on your digital It says this, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? 
Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who is it, who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who himself, who gave us this well himself and drank from it? as did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't, be, won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claimed the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus replied, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans will worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worship must, his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah. He's coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Let's pray. Father, we are asking that you would send your Holy Spirit not only to remind us that you are here, God, but we are asking We are desiring to receive afresh your love, your presence, your nearness. For whatever reason and wherever we came from, God, we want you. Holy Spirit, all we want is you this morning. So God, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, and open our minds to know and our hearts to receive. God, we ask this in your name. Amen. Church, there is something about, about shame that we have to clear up and about sin that bumper stickers have done a terrible job at. Let me, let me say this very clearly. The sin of the Samaritan woman did not keep her from Jesus. Her sin and her shame did not keep her from Jesus. And thus the same way your sin in your same shame does not keep you from Jesus. Your sin and your shame is not the thing that is keeping you from Jesus. Church, Jesus knew where he was going. He knew that he was walking into Samaria. He knew he was walking to that well. And he knew that he was going to meet a woman who had been coming there in the middle of the day. And he did not turn and run. He went towards her. 
Like, I don't know about you, but maybe your experience in your interaction with Jesus is the moment that he shows up, you believe that he will exit the room. Like the Samaritan woman, if you read in the text, Jesus didn't go, oh, dang, you're here. I got to go. Jesus did not say, I have to hightail and run because you are here, a woman, a Samaritan, and you are living in sin, and I can't be anywhere near you. That is the provocative and the word that is heard and the narrative that is shared to us all the time, is that when Jesus gets into the proximity of sin, he runs. But this is not the Jesus that I see in the Bible, is that Jesus, when in the midst of proximity and shame, doesn't move away, but moves towards Maybe that's all you need this morning. Maybe you're done and you can leave and you just need to hear that. That the sin and the shame that exists within you and in others isn't the thing that moves Jesus away from you. It's actually the thing that moves Jesus towards you. That his love and saying, I must go through Samaria. He told his disciples that. I must go through there. And I don't know if Jesus all-knowing knew that that woman was going to be there. And he's like, I got to go just for her. But if he did, I want that Jesus that knew that he was going into a place that he should never have gone, and he walked there because it was for her. Your sin and your shame are not the things that are keeping you, or Jesus, from you. He doesn't move away towards you, away from you, but he moves towards you. And here's the thing, then, that I realized in this moment, is that as you read the text, shame also has this thing that it does to you. It makes you do weird things. Like, it made this Samaritan woman do weird things. Like, in the text, she is there at noon. I don't know if any of you were walking a long distance this last week in the heat of the day somewhere. I didn't. Because here's the thing. If you don't have to, you don't. Like, this woman, uh, this Samaritan woman was moving in the hottest part of the day towards the well of water to grab it because she knew that nobody else was going to be there, or she thought. It makes you do weird things. You do things that are outside the norm. Nobody else is walking there, but when you carry the sin and the shame, it moves you in places that you shouldn't be. Not only that, but she makes weird assumptions and justifications in Jesus, right? She says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Like, that should keep you away from me. Right? I make this assumption of this man who is sitting at the well and he's talking to me. You shouldn't even be talking to me. Let alone that you don't know my past history, but you are, you are a man, a Jewish man, and I'm a Samaritan woman. We shouldn't even be in proximity to one another. Her assumption of Jesus is incredible. But then the, the big one is like after Jesus tells them, tells her that I have this living water thing that you really need and you really want, she does this. She goes, are you greater than the ancestor Jacob? Are you greater than he? And all of his sons who have drank from this, his livestock, are you greater than this guy? Like how many of us in our sin and our shame go and say, man, God, are you better than this? Are you better than the person that I go and get uh, spiritual like mentorship? God, are you better than the one that, that I listen to in a podcast that has really good things to say? God, are you better than the leading theologian that I listen to, that I read? Like, are you better than this? Man, shame makes you do some weird things. It makes you do things that are counterintuitive to what you do when you get into the presence of Jesus. When you get into the presence of Jesus, you know that he has this living water, and he knows that you need it, but yet you are questioning every second that you are engaging with him. 
it makes you do some weird things. Because what happens is shame, when you've been carrying it for a long time, when you've been allowing that sin and shame to be the weight in which you carry, it causes you to live differently. And then when you live differently, you engage with different things and different people, and then you believe and think different things that aren't true. Shame causes you to do some weird things. Church, what, what shame or sin that you've been carrying for a long time that you're carrying around that has made you do weird things? That have made you do things that are awkward, things that are not natural, that pushes you probably away from people than closer to people? Shame is something we need to talk about in the church because let me be honest about it, the church is really good at it. It's been good at it for thousands of years. And like we talked about last series, we as a church, if we are centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we don't pull this text out of our Bibles, that we are going to be a church that says we don't live in shame. There is no shame in his game, and thus, thus there's none in ours. So what do we do? Church, what do we do to live differently today? What is today that maybe you just need to like give your shame up with Jesus? Maybe Jesus has been like meeting you at the place in the awkward heat where there's nobody else and you were questioning the water that he is wanting to give you, the exchange that he is ready to take the sin and the shame away and give to you living water. Maybe that you just need to do that. Maybe today, right now, the shame that you've been carrying for decades, months, hours, however long you've been caring for, you need to understand a Jesus who is interacting with you, a Holy Spirit is engaging with you, that wants to say, give that to me and I will give you a gift. And the gift is called life. The reason I think, as a church, we're really good at this shame thing is because I'm really good at it as a dad. Like those moments where I catch my daughter, and this is where I think Jesus is so different. The moment where I catch my daughter doing something that she shouldn't do, what does she get? She gets a look. And looks communicate powerful words that are unspoken, right? When I see my girl and I'm like, right? Or the disappointing, like the one, maybe you're like, you're like the, you're that parent, they like, right? Not again. Like, we're really good at that. Like, and here's the thing about it. We as people who have received this forgiveness of our sin and the releasing of shame, when we have exchanged it for the free gift of life that Jesus offers, I don't think Jesus shows up to the woman and says, you have five husbands, and the current one is not your husband. Like, he's not there. Like, our looks communicate something. And I see a Jesus who is incredibly compassionate that looks and says, yeah, you're right. You have had a lot of husbands. And the current one you are is not your own. That is the truth. You say is the truth. But it doesn't discount the gift of which I'm offering you. Church, there are... Not only here, but every church that I've been in, 
I've heard this story that I've left the church because every time that I enter the room, there's a person or people that give me a look because they know exactly what, who I am and what I've done and what I'm doing. And it brings me shame by the way they just look at me. I felt it. I felt a kid that's growing up in a church and the way that I act and I respond in church and out of church that I've gotten looks of people that are disapproving of the way I act in here and out of here. I live that within my kids that as they come and being pastor's kids that eyes will be on them and the way they act in here and out of here will set them on an expectation that is not right and not fair. But my prayer and my hope is that here in this church that starts with me as dad, as son of the most living high God, that I will look on them with not disdain, disappointment, or judgment, but I'll look on them with compassion. Because I will say boldly right now, Jesus did not shame the woman at the well. And you're like, no, he did. I'm like, well, let's look together. Before he even mentioned her five husbands, before he even mentions this, he says, I have this thing that you want, that you desperately need, that has caused you to be here for us to meet together at this moment, at this place, at this time. And I'm going to offer it to you without even saying a word. All you have to do is say, yes, give me that water and I will give it to you. You have the ability, the power to remove my sin and my shame and to restore the relationship that I not only have with God, but I have with my community. That he has that moment right there before he even does it. He is offering her grace in her sin. And she refuses it. She questions it because her sin and her shame are so tightly bound together that have caused her to live in such a way that has changed the way she thinks, acts, and moves. She says no. And so then Jesus, after offering grace of life, of living water, comes over here and engages her and then says the truth. Yeah, you've had five husbands. And the current one that you're living with and engaging with is not your husband. What you have said is true. So the measure between grace from truth and grace, all of this moment, the tension that holds these two together in our lives as followers of Jesus, that holds Jesus in tension, that he is fully truth and he is fully grace. And in the tension of that that holds it all together is love. Not shame. That often between holding grace and truth as followers of Jesus, whether we're really hard on the grace side and that's where we err, we're really on, on the truth side, that sometimes we allow shame to be the tension that holds it together. That we stay in this relationship with Jesus because we don't want to walk away. But we also don't want the gift that he offers. But in this whole moment between grace and truth, it's love. It's love. It's not a dirty look. It's not a knowing glance. It's not a, every time we meet, we have this awkward thing that we kind of say it, that we know it. Hey, I just remind you, I still know it. We don't use the things that, that bind us up, the sin and shame, as a way to hold things over our head. Jesus didn't absolutely hold anything over our head. He offered willingness, a grace, and a living water that would change her very existence, that moment. That is how good the gift is, that Jesus was offering to the woman right there something that would change the way she walked, moved, think immediately. 
as long as she offered it over. And I want to end this text this way. I didn't read it to you, and I didn't read it to you on purpose. But it's from John chapter 4, verse 24, if you want to hit that slide. Actually, sorry, it's 42. It says this. So this is after the disciples have now rejoined Jesus and probably are wondering, what the heck happened? Let's get hightail it out of here. Let's get out of here. We shouldn't be here. We're Jews. We're men. We shouldn't be around here. This is what happens. It goes back to the Samaritan, but not the, just the Samaritan woman, but the community. And it says this. That many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of what the woman's testimony was. And he told, he, she said, he told me everything I ever did. That means he probably told her more than we even have a count of. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. Could you imagine that? The person that knows your every dirty secret, you encourage them to stay with you, then leave you. So he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, the Samaritan community, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Imagine that moment. You who are excluded from saving, have now interacted with the living Jesus and have been offered the living water, and you now proclaim that he is the savior of the world, which includes you. Because the community first engaged with a woman who had been changed and then engaged with a Jesus who is the source of living water. Church, you are set free from your sin and shame not to take it for yourself, but to be like the Samaritan woman to say, it is so good, it is so great, it is so transformative that I am going to take it and set others free. I have lived this in a moment of sin and shame that I carried around for decades. And then just this last year, I had an engagement with a person who knew every intimate moment of these details. And we sat across the table in this very awkward moment. It took us about 45 minutes to get here. But finally, we both took a breath and we engaged the thing in the room. And I said, I'm sorry. And he said, What you did in that moment did not change the way I saw, thought, or expected your life to live out. And it was that moment of releasing of shame that changed everything. Because you see these people, people that carry your biggest shame, that know your mind, you see often. And the moment that they say this moment of, I release you from this shame, 
That not only has Jesus, I understood for decades that Jesus had released me of my shame, but I hadn't engaged a community. I hadn't started living differently in that community with those people because of the shame that I had carried. You are set free by Jesus to go set others free. You participate in the setting free of people's sin and shame, not because Jesus has told you that you are the authority and the giver of living water, but because you have received it and then you have spoken it, you have lived lived differently and you have offered it to other people, which makes them then come to the source of living water and say, what you offered me and what you have experienced is exactly the same that I experienced with Jesus. This is why it's so hard for us as a church that people don't want to engage with us because the sin and the shame that we have been cast off from us, the living water, is then held on us. And instead of, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, let people free, we bind them up. Church, who are you binding up? Who do you need to go to to say, yes, I have been given uh, a free gift of life. I have been released of the sin and shame, and now I'm going to release people from their shame. Because if Jesus did it for me, he wants to do it for you. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Church, it's your responsibility along with Jesus to set people free. If not you, then who? If not you, then who? You are a representation of the living God. And that when they experience Jesus and the sin and shame that has set them free, if you hold it over their heads... What kind of witness are we? Church, I wonder how many people, if us and the whole church began to walk into people's life who they had sinned and shamed against or had, had been sinned and shamed against them, is if we got together across the table and just started forgiving one another, started releasing that sin and that shame. I wonder if we would be like the Samaritan community. They don't believe just because we say it. They believe because they've experienced it. And I'm not saying text it. We got to. We're in, we're in the age where everybody texts something. I'm sorry. There is power. Jesus did not text it. He did not use the Holy Spirit to release the sin and the shame of this woman. He was face to face. There is power in presence. There is power when two people show up with the Holy Spirit and God does what only he can do and you do what you can do. Church, Jesus sees you. He knows you. He's redeeming everything you've ever done. Let's pray. Father, I am uh, grateful. I am grateful for the forgiveness and the life that you offer. God, I'm also grateful for the people in my life who has extended grace and truth and love. 
that have released the shame that I've carried for a short time and one that I've carried for a lifetime. God, I pray today that we as followers of Jesus, God, we get out of this shame game. God, we all know the power of being set free. My prayer is that I don't imprison anyone else. That we as a church here do not imprison anyone else for what they have not, what they've said, what they have thought, or what they have done that is against you, God, and against one another. But we participate in the center of who you are. You are the tension between grace and truth. You are love. You have loved me. You have loved us. And you will continue to. Every day of our existence. In the kingdom now and the kingdom to come. May that be the gospel that we offer. As we breathe, as we move, as we live. We ask this in your name. Amen.